Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This week continues our series, Unanswered. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Welcome to Valley Point Church. My name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's a great joy to see you, and from my heart to yours, I really want to thank you for being a part of this day. I think it will be something that will be memorable for you. We're in our summer series right now called Unanswered, and what we're doing is we're asking a question and then diving into Scripture to find an answer for that particular question, and we've been doing this all summer long, and just having a great time. So I want to jump into our question for today, and that is communion. It's kind of weird. And when you think about communion, it's a different type of tradition. It's kind of weird. But here's the question. What really happens when I take communion? I'm involved in this. What really happens to me? Communion is this ancient, mysterious activity of the church. And today, I want to make sense, as best as we possibly can, of this particular tradition. Here to help me walk through this is my wife, Tanya Kohler, and Sherry Kelly. Will you help me welcome them, please? All right, really grateful that both of you are here. And you may not know this, but I use Tanya and Sherry to help with research and writing on sermons and on different things here at Valley Point Church. They're both trained in these areas. They love God. I know this about them. And they also love Valley Point Church. So I think you're in for a real treat that you get to benefit from the research that they've done. So I've talked to Sherry about sharing the different views of communion because there are different views Churches approach this in different ways, and I think it'll be good for us to have a little bit of understanding of these different views, and so she's going to walk us through that. And then Tanya is going to take us into what I believe to be the watershed passage in the New Testament on communion. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and what we find there is a real church in a real city, and they're participating in communion as a faith community, but they're having a lot of problems as they do it. So Tanya is going to help us walk through that. Before you both jump into your research, though, I would love for you just to share a story or a memory about a teaching on communion. So Sherry, you go first. Well, the first time I really connected with communion as an experience was when I was studying abroad in college. It was a traveling program, so I was in a different church every week. And in dozens of different churches, with dozens of different interpretations and practices, communion was a shared experience, a shared reenactment of the gospel message for everyone present. Each time we gathered with a singular purpose to celebrate a singular gospel, and that was astonishing. Yeah, and there's a lot of unity in these moments. Yeah. Okay, Tanya, a memory. About three years ago, uh, my grandmother died, 
and uh, I was uh, given the opportunity to speak at her funeral. And so I had the honor of going back to Toledo, Ohio, and being in the church um, where she had taken me when I was little, and uh, I got to share memories of my grandmother. Um, But even though I was allowed to speak at the funeral, I wasn't allowed to worship um, because I wasn't a member at the church. So when it came time for communion, I wasn't able to participate um, in communion. So I kind of felt like an outsider at the service for my grandmother. I wasn't alone. There were others who weren't able to participate in communion also. But it really made me contemplate the true meaning and purpose of communion. And and your stories are both so interesting because I think it speaks of the mystery and the uniqueness of communion. It can be a very unifying thing, and Sherry spoke of that. Yet there's also the side of it that can be a bit divisive. And so what should it do? Well, I hope in our time together we can clarify that. I know my communion experience as a young boy when my family started attending church was quite frightening, actually. I remember a pastor getting up when it was communion time, and he talked about making sure that all of your sins are confessed before you take communion. And if all of your sins aren't confessed, then you might take communion unworthily and bring on the judgment of God in your life. Well, as a young boy, I found that to be terrifying. Like, the judgment of God is not a good thing, and I I don't want that. And I'm trying to confess my sin, but there was always this thought that what if I miss one? And, you know, I don't say it, and the judgment of God comes into my life. So I often found myself during communion times letting the plates just pass and and not participating. Which is a shame because God doesn't want us to skip communion. He wants us to participate in it. Yeah. Okay, Sherry, there are different views of communion. And in your research, you found that there's two primary views and then some space in the middle. So talk to us about that. Well, actually, Eric, there's three positions on communion. There's standing... There's kneeling, and there's sitting. (laughs) My husband told me to tell that joke. It's our only joke for today, all right? So that's all we've got. (laughs) Uh, Well, on the one side, you have transubstantiation, which is the belief that the elements of communion, the bread and the wine, transform into the actual body and blood of Christ, so Mm. that when you take communion, you are literally eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. And it's a sacrament because you're re-sacrificing Christ again each time you do it. Then on the other side, you have the memorial view, which is where we reflect and remember Christ's sacrifice, but the elements don't actually become Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's called an ordinance because it's a symbolic act with a spiritual purpose. Then in the middle, you have a couple of um, really similar views. Um, Consubstantiation is the idea that Christ is spiritually present in the elements, but he doesn't, he's not physically present in the elements. And a very similar view called real presence is that Christ is spiritually present in a special way, but not in the elements. Mm. So you've got the literal, the figurative, and then the middle. Yeah, and I I really appreciate you researching that and 
taking time to explain it because, again, I think it's good to know what these differences are. And I want you to know that here at Valley Point, we hold to the memorial view of communion. It is figurative, meaning that when we take communion, we are remembering the great sacrifice of Jesus, but we are not re-sacrificing him again and again every time that we take communion. There's some unique scripture that points to the sacrifice of Jesus, meaning that when he came and when he died, when he gave his life for us, that it was considered a once-for-all sacrifice, and he was good for all time. And he didn't need to be re-sacrificed again. And so, based on that, our best understanding of Scripture is that communion is something that helps us to remember, again, what Jesus did for us. Now, other churches teach differently on this than us. We don't get excited about that. We don't debate with them. We don't jump up and down and scream and yell and say, hey, that's wrong and you got to do it this way. But we do hold to this symbolic view because... It is our best understanding of Scripture. And I know, Tanya, when you were doing some of your study, you came across some language that really helps explain that. And there's a lot of figurative language in Scripture. So talk to us a little bit about what you discovered there. Yeah, it's so interesting when you look at Scripture because Jesus often uses symbolism when he's referring to himself. Jesus said that he is living water Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the rock, a door. Is Jesus literally water, a shepherd, a rock, and a door? No, it's a picture of who he is. He's using symbolism to tell us who he is here. And the same is true when we come to communion. When we partake of the body and blood, it's a symbolism. It's a picture of Christ and what he has done for us. Okay, let's look into Scripture now. So if you have a Bible or a device, I'd love for you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, I believe this is the watershed passage in the New Testament on communion. And this is really a very important piece of Scripture, isn't it? It is. Um, We see communion in the first five books of the New Testament. And then in 1 Corinthians, we see a church actually celebrating communion. And what we find here, it's a real church, these are real people, it's a real city, they're walking through communion, but it's a mess. Like they, have, they have some sincere problems, so describe some of those issues for us. Okay, so first I want to say, as a mom, probably one of my hardest jobs is when I see that one of my kids is off track, trying to help them get back on track, giving them some steps to take, helping them out. Um, The Apostle Paul has a job that's kind of like that with the early churches. He points out areas where they're off track, and he teaches them how to get back on and how to live for Christ. And that's the purpose of the book of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, throughout the whole book, is kind of pointing, (laughs) poking (laughs) the Corinthian church, saying you need to change this and this and this. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he deals with how they are taking communion. And he's telling them that there's a problem. And 1 Corinthians 11.27 says this, 
So, if anyone eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, that person is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So, here, if we look really carefully at this word unworthily, we can realize that it isn't talking about people being unworthy, but rather how they're practicing communion. That was what was unworthy. So this word is, I think, what was so frightening to me as a young boy. So I go back to my story about not wanting to take communion because of unconfessed sin and not wanting the judgment of God in my life. That's not what's being addressed here. There's not a challenge to examine yourself for unconfessed sin. It's likely that Paul, the writer of this, is bringing up another issue, favoritism, right? Exactly. So let me describe the Corinthian church just a little bit. So in Corinth, there's a church, and they didn't meet in a traditional building, like what we would think of a church building, and they didn't have a middle school like we have either. But rather, they were meeting in a home. And so when they would come to church, it was very customary before communion that they would have a feast or a fellowship meal. So they would bring food. And the wealthy were bringing their gourmet food in and coming to church and going to one area of the church and eating this meal together. And then the poor were coming to church and bringing a very basic, simple meal, what they could afford, and they were eating in another part of the church. So because of this separation of these meals, there was a division in the church. And this is what the Apostle Paul is pointing out to them. He's saying, you shouldn't be separated. They had allowed the social statuses outside of the church to come inside of the church. So it was causing division. Rather, they should have come together, sharing the gourmet food with the simple basic food and eating a meal together. And this would have brought them together to be unified. Also, in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 23 through 25, uh, Jesus says this. It says, For this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you, just as I received it. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is the new covenant, which is our key two words here. This is a new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. The new covenant referred to here in this verse refers to the change in the way that we can approach God. The new covenant took the place of the old covenant. Before Jesus died on the cross, for people to come to God, they first had to go through a priest and the sacrificial system. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, they didn't have to go through that. The new covenant meant that all could approach Jesus. All of us can come to him. A couple of weeks ago, Dr. Modica taught, and one of the things he said that I thought was very interesting, and, and we talked about this, is that we eat, we commune with people we like. 
That's generally what happens. But in this particular church, they were not accepting each other. The rich were not accepting the poor, and there were a lot of other issues as well. There was just no acceptance there, and that was beginning to spill over then into the communion experience. So it moved from the meal they shared into this sacred time of communion. Mm -hmm. The ordinance of communion shows that all can equally come to God. Paul's warning here to the people is that when they're coming to communion, to come not with a selfish, prideful attitude, but to come with that of humility and acceptance of others. Uh, I think that even though this is an admonition that was given about 2,000 years ago, it's so fitting for us today that as we come to church or we approach communion, that we come with a unifying attitude with a spirit of accepting all right where they are because we all need God's forgiveness. Each one of us needs the forgiveness of God. Just a little story to illustrate this. Uh, My daughter Clarice is working at the YMCA as a camp counselor for preschoolers this summer. And she loves it, comes home every day with a story of something that a child said or did. But about two weeks into working with preschoolers for eight hours a day, she came home and said, all kids are born sinners. They can be so bad. (laughs) They're cute, but they can be so bad. And it's funny when a preschooler does something wrong sometimes, but it's not funny for us. We all have a sin problem, each of us, but Christ has forgiven us all, and we all can approach God. So let's remember that God has his arms open to all. Those we disagree with politically and morally, God's arms are open to all, race, color, social status. God's arms are open to all, those who heal and those who kill. All can come to Christ because of Jesus' work on the cross. His blood forgives all of us. I love that this is happening with a group of people here. It's so important for us to remember that communion is not a communing in between God and an individual. It's for the whole church to participate in together as the body of Christ. Yeah, which is what we find even when Jesus was initiating communion with his disciples, which the fascinating thing about Paul recalling the story is you have Jesus serving those who would betray him and deny him. And he knew that. He knew what was coming, and yet he's inclusive in this act of uh, making it available for all. So um, a a couple of key questions that I get about communion that I thought it would be good to address, and this I, I get in emails or in our membership classes. Sometimes people will ask this. And and the first question is, why why don't we serve communion every week here at Valley Point? And if you've been here for any length of time, you know we don't do that every single week. Other churches do. That's kind of part of their practice and their faith tradition. But we don't. And why not? Well, we serve communion here at Valley Point at strategic times where we have the opportunity to really focus on its purpose and what's happening with it and what happens inside of us. A day like today, 
And it has always been a concern of mine that communion not become so commonplace that we just rush in and we eat and we drink and we check that off of some religious list. Like, you know, I've done communion, so I'm good. I've never wanted that. I've wanted it to be a time where we really contemplate and dig a little deeper and remember the amazing sacrifice of Christ and make it a special thing. Because nothing so special like a dry cracker. <laughs> That's right. It's our communion hum- humor over here today. <laughs> All right, question number two. Uh, and that is, who can take communion? I get that quite a bit as well. Who, who can take this? And my response to that is, if you have trusted in Jesus alone to save you, then you can take communion, and you should. We practice here at Valley Point what is called open communion. Other churches have closed communion, and that was Tanya's experience at the church when she was participating in her grandmother's funeral there. But we practice open communion, meaning it is available for all who have trusted in Jesus alone to save them. And if that's you, then we freely encourage you to participate today, and I hope that you'll do that. Quick story, after our first hour, I had someone come to me and say, I was just really moved by the teaching and the whole experience of focusing on communion. And I took communion again today for the first time in 20 years. So this is a person who's been sitting out, terrified, nervous, wondering if it's right or wrong, and today kind of got that this is an inclusive thing. So here at Valley Point, it's open communion, and we hope that you will participate with us in just a moment. I've asked both Sherry and Tanya to build a couple of takeaways for us. So Tanya, you share first. Uh, Use communion as a way to examine your heart and see if you view and act on the truth that Christ's love is equal for all of us. Communion is just a perfect time to thank God and honor Him for all He has done with, for us with open hearts and open arms. Okay. Sherry, your takeaway for us as we uh, encounter communion here? To use communion as a way to reflect on what it means that we are the body of Christ. Yeah, it's for us. Yeah. Okay, back to the question. Communion. It's kind of weird. And what really happens to me when I take communion? Well, I would posit to you that it's not weird. It's actually a beautiful, mysterious thing that allows us to do this. For a few moments, for a few moments, we come together as a church And out is social status, out is color, out are the other things that could potentially divide us. And so we come together for these few moments, and we remember this great sacrifice of Jesus, and we give thanks to God for the depths of his love. And also, for a few moments, we focus on someone other than ourselves. That's what happens when we take communion. And I want to invite you into that moment now. Will you pray with me? God, we're going to move into a time of remembering you. God, I want to thank you for this day. 
and for what we discover in Scripture that just talks about and focuses on your plan. God, you initiated something for us that we never could have taken care of on our own. We cannot and we could not pay the price for our sins, and you knew that. And so you initiated this great plan where you sent your son to live and die and then rise again, paying the price for our sin and initiating this new covenant. And God, just before your son paid the ultimate price with his life for our sins, he initiated and enacted something new. He sat down with his close followers and shared a meal with them, and he picked up a piece of bread, and he said, this is my body, which is about to be broken for you, and this is my blood, which is about to be shed for you. And our best understanding of Scripture is that he was speaking symbolically, this is a picture of my body, this is a picture of my blood, and I want you to remember me and my great sacrifice. And so, God, as we move into these next few moments here, I pray that you'd help us to push out the activities of the day, help us to push out the things that bother us, the things that are hurting us, as well as some of the good in life and the successes. God, help us to just move all of that to the side right now and exclusively focus on no one else than Jesus, the one who walked up the hill for all of us and paid for our mistakes. God, help us to focus and think and remember you now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.